At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Yeah, thank you everyone for joining us online and thank you for everyone who's here. I missed you last week. You know, I missed you. I really did. Uh, Lorino did a phenomenal job bringing the word. We're so grateful for him, so grateful for him as he grows, as he develops as a young preacher. And I was actually at Woodside, but the Romeo campus. So I was at Romeo. I was their Juliet, and that's how it worked out for the week. Anyone? No? Uh, I got two thumbs down from the tech booth. All right. Boo. All right. All right. You got it. You got it. But again, I am so happy to be back. And I want to start off with a story about a time where I was so new to my faith. And I know we have some people here who are new to their faith, and you're going to understand, man, I was on fire. I was so on fire for the Lord. I was on that mountaintop. I was excited. I was digging in the Word. And I wanted to reach my friends for Jesus. I wanted my friends, I wanted my families to have, uh, family members to have a relationship with Jesus. And most of my family, they have a relationship with Jesus. But here I was, living in an apartment with three of my buddies, right in between Eastern Michigan and University of Michigan in Ypsilanti. And we would play Madden and we would, you know, go to parties and we would watch movies. And we were just your stereotypical college-age kids, and then Jesus got a hold of my heart. And now I'm in this, uh, in this apartment with these guys who now I-, I want them to experience what I've experienced. And so I'm starting to think through, okay, how do I tell them about Jesus? How do I tell them about what happened in my life? You know, well, I heard this thing, evangelism or, or sharing your faith, and I know I'm supposed to do it, but I'm afraid, I'm worried. Like, are they going to think I'm weird? Or are they going to think I'm a, a judgmental Christian? Are they going to think I'm pushy or I'm, I'm not tolerant? You know, fill in the blank for all those stereotypes that, that we feel at times from our culture. And so I was there, and, and I was thinking, okay, how do I minister to this person, how to minister to that person. And so one person in mind was actually uh, the person I shared my room with in the apartment, and he had seen me on multiple occasions reading my Bible. And so he'd ask, hey, what are you doing? Here he is doing who knows what, and, and I'm there in my word. And, and so he would ask a couple questions, and, and he was kind of curious. And so one day, I remember very vividly uh, we decided to go play laser tag in Canton, all right? And we heard that they had the best, the biggest laser tag arena. And so we decided we were going to drive over there. And, and when we were driving, I knew this was my moment. And so we're driving, and I'm like, okay, I got to be bold. I got to be courageous. I got to tell them about Jesus. I got to tell him this is my chance. And, and I was afraid. He, you know, I'm going to be real with you. He, he it wasn't the nicest guy. Right? He was former military. He was, he, he was kind of a jerk, okay? Let's just say it. He was tough, and he loved to debate. He, he loved to fight just to fight because that's kind of his personality. And so I was intimidated a little, but I knew this was my chance. And, and I don't know if I was more afraid of him or the purple PT Cruiser we were driving in. So here we are, and we're driving in this PT Cruiser, and we're going to play laser tag. And I worked up all this courage, and the only thing I could muster out was a question. 
What is holding you back from having a relationship with Jesus? So in that moment, when I thought I was going to explain or exegete this or say this to defend that, all I could muster out was a question. And so I want to ask a question to all of us this morning. Have you ever had a moment like this where you're trying to work up the courage to be bold, to ask a question, to share your faith, to tell your story, to invite someone to church, and really, you're in that moment, and you want to tell them, hey, Jesus, he's rose from the dead, he's victorious over the grave, and hell, and the power of Satan, and he gave his followers instructions, and this is why I'm doing this right now. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, because with us, as Christ followers, most people in this room are Christ followers, and maybe there are people in this room who've never given their lives to Christ, and I hope this message can speak to you as well, but Jesus' last words are what we're going to talk about today. And what we know it as is the Great Commission. As Jesus is here in this final moment, and he's with his disciples, and he's with other people that have chose to follow him, and he goes and he tells them this command. And so we're going to dig into this, and it's in Matthew chapter 28, specifically verse 18 to 20. And we're going to talk about this, and I know I'm excited because this is something that we all need to hear. We all need to understand. And so what it says in Matthew 28 verse 18 18 to 20, is this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all, all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. And so we see here in this great commission, Jesus is having his final words here on earth, and he's about to ascend in heaven. So this is a crucial moment, and everything Jesus did had divine purpose, and so in this moment, He has something important to share, and the first thing he says, and the first thing we can observe is that Jesus has been given all authority. So we see in this text that that not just some, but all authority has been given to him. And if you know the book of Matthew, you know Matthew loves to talk about the authority of Jesus and how he demonstrated it. He demonstrated his authority with the power to heal. He author, uh, demonstrated his authority with the power to, to cast out demons. He demonstrated his authority to judge, even to forgive sins. And now, he has one small but super significant word before all his previous authoritative statements, and that is the word all. So he says all authority in in heaven and on earth have been given to me. And and this is not necessarily a a new authority, but, but it's apparently a new level of authority. 
Because Jesus already had authority, but now he has a different measure of it. He has all authority. Listen to what Ephesians 1, verse 20 through 23 says. We're going to put it up here on the projector. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So, so what we see is the cosmic authority of Jesus is real. And, and I know that to some of us, this is, this is second nature. It's like, okay, I get this. And we casually sing songs like, he's got the whole world in his hands, right? Do we know that? But, but do you understand what you're singing? If that is true, we are singing the loftiest claim in, in world history. That Jesus has the same authority, the magnificent power of the Father. As we see in the text, seated at the right hand of God. It's mysterious, it's marvelous that he claims that he's been granted everything that the Father has. And what the Father has is his, and what he has is the Father's. And so you wonder, okay, Jesus starts off this last statement. It has divine purpose. Why is he taking this first sentence to flex? To say, hey, all authority has been given to me. I think it's because of what comes next. And that's because he says, okay, all authority is mine in heaven and on earth. Therefore, Go make disciples. So he uses it to build up what he's about to say. Go make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them all that I have commanded you. And so we see that word go therefore, and that's showing us why that first statement is said. Okay, all authority has been given. Therefore, you need to go. And this is so interesting because in this section, there are four verbs. You know, the verbs that we see here are the words go, make disciples, baptizing, and teaching. So when he says that first verb, go, it's tightly connected to the second verb, make disciples. And there's no debate grammatically in this text as to which verb is the dominant imperative, and that is make disciples. That is the focal point. So when it says go, go in its simplest form means movement. And so we need to move in the place of making disciples. And so in Jesus, we see him, how he went, how he went 
to the nations as he went through 12 disciples. And then he had three that were much closer, you know, and he preached to the masses. But really, how he went, one of his most effective methods was, was smaller settings. You know, we think, okay, the sermon, this is it, this is where it happens, when really we see that Jesus worked mightily in smaller groups, in conversations, in Bible studies. And so when he says, go make disciples, it's a, this image of intentionality where, you know, it's, it's not just coming to church, it, it's, it's living it in your life. So when it says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations. I think this is where a lot of us even get more lost. Because when we think of all the nations, we hear that and we normally think of of missionary work across our country, across an ocean. And we think, hey, that's not for us. When it says go to the nations, that has nothing to do with me. When when really that's saying, hey, go, go to your water cooler at work. Or go to that phone call that you're taking this week. Or go to that hangout with friends. Or go to that uh, moment where you get to hang out with other families at a, at a baseball field. And what Jesus is trying to tell us is going to the nations is really those who are in the realm of our influence. Whether work or fun But mostly, I believe, for us, for the context of us in this room, it's to our home. You know, how can we go to the nations if we're not going to our home first? How can we go to the water cooler or go to the baseball diamond if if we're not investing in our home? To the men in this room, discipleship starts in the home. To the women in this room, discipleship starts in the home. We got to love our home first. And maybe you're like, hey, I don't have a husband, don't have a wife, don't have kids. It starts with your nieces, nephews, cousins, parents, sisters, brothers. It's the home. You know, I love this quote by Elton Trueblood. He says, evangelism is not a professional job for a few trained men, but it is instead the unrelenting responsibility of every person who belongs to Jesus. It's not my job, it's our job. And so it says, okay, go make disciples. That's great. Well, how do you make disciples? The verbs baptizing and teaching are the subservient verbs. How do we make disciples? We baptize and we teach. Oh, it looks good, a baptismal up here. We actually have a a baptism second service, which we're very excited about. Uh, Ellie Green, she's uh, about to be baptized. We're very excited for her family. And uh, what we see is how we make disciples is by baptizing and by teaching, teaching Jesus' words, teaching the word of God. And we must show that in different ways, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. You know, that word observe is very synonymous with the word uh, obedience. Actually, in, in some translations, it is translated more around obedience. And, and when I hear that, and, and I hear that we're called to be obedient to what he's commanded, I think it's important to us to understand 
back to that first part of the scripture, the authority of Christ. And sometimes we don't give Christ the authority he deserves. Because authority means, hey, when he tells us or commands us, we're called to be obedient to his commandments. And with that obedience, that shows actually that, that we love him and we follow him and we're disciples of him. You know, obedience, it leads us to standing out and being different and being holy and being set apart. And one of the biggest acts and most neglected things that God calls us to is evangelism. It is sharing our faith. I love how Greg Laurie says that a church that doesn't evangelize will fossilize. If we don't go, then there won't be disciples. Because we are used by God, and he says it, not me, as his ambassadors. We are used by him to reach the world. And so you may be worried and say, okay, all right, I hear you, but how in the world am I of all people going to be used by God? You know, it's easy to forget the promises of Matthew 4 when, when Jesus called a couple, you know, really scrubs from Galilee, some fishermen. He says, hey, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. That's liberating. Hey, if you follow me, I will make you that person who's able to fish for men, for women. I will transform you. I will change you. My spirit will do many good work in you. And I think about this, sometimes we put too much of the onus on us, and it's easy to fall into pride that way. And with evangelism, it's the same thing, because many Christians, we love evangelism as long as someone else is doing it. Man, I love that. I love what we're doing. I love that we're going. You know, our, our, our senior pastor, Chris Brooks, he's in Africa right now, and he's get, he gets to share the gospel, and, and we could celebrate that, or we could go. Or I love, I've heard stories this week from men and women, a part of our church, who are actively sharing the gospel in, in their world, in the life that they live. And they're ready in season and out of season. And most of the time, they're not ready for it. It just lands right there. And they can choose to act upon it or not. And so it's the same with us with this, that we need to know going and making disciples is something that, that's not just going to, hey, let me A B plus B equals C. We just got to be ready to share what Christ has done in our life. We also have to be unashamed. You know, sometimes I think that people care more about what others think than what God thinks. Even Paul said, if I'm here to, to please God or men, right? Am I here to please God or men? If I'm here to please men, I, I wouldn't be a servant of God. And so we have to live a life unashamed 
You know, I, I love to share stories about my mom, and I have a good one this week. And my mom, she loves to embarrass me. She, I think she'll be here next service, too. So if you want to stick around, she already has a little Chesterfield fan club going on. And, uh, and uh, she, she actually did this when I was at Bible college. It was my birthday, and she called the college. Okay, she called the college. Remember, I'm 10 hours away in middle of nowhere, Missouri. She called the college, and she got one of the, one of the receptionists, one of the secretaries, and she said, it's my son's birthday. You know, I need to do something for him. She convinced them to get <laughs> a poster board and, and draw Happy Birthday Winston, and then they took it to the cafeteria, and, and there's this one door that everyone scans their card to go get their food, you know, and they go in and get their food. And there's the gatekeeper, which is the scariest woman you'll ever meet. Um, I feel like they find, I don't know where they find these people, but she was terrifying. And, and she, can, she convinced them to take that poster board and put it at that door that everyone entered for their, for their meal. And so I'm walking in to get my food, and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Happy birthday, Winston. I'm like, no, Mom. Oh, there's not a shy bone in her. There's no shame. And yes, yeah, she embarrassed me and ruined my life. But the thing is, I just, when I think about someone who's unashamed, I think about her. Because she did not care at any moment to share the name of Jesus. She didn't. So I want to ask you a question. When was the last time you had a conversation about God with someone who doesn't know him. When was the last time? Just five seconds. When was the last time you had a conversation about God with someone who doesn't know him? For most people, the unfortunate answer to that question is, is not often. It's been a while. And, and statistics show that it's even exceedingly more rare now in America with Christians than ever. Only 8% of regular church attenders believe that sharing their faith is very important. Three out of four Christians seldom have a spiritual conversation. 56% of all Americans believe the Holy Spirit is a, is a force, not a person. Almost 50% of Christians think the most non, that non-Christians have no interest in hearing about Jesus. And, and I wonder why. I wonder why the last words of Jesus have become so optional. We tend to die on hills of, of things that we value instead of souls that are being lost to hell. Is it because we're ashamed? Is it because in our heart we're actually really struggling to believe? Maybe we're lukewarm. Maybe we 
think, hey, keep religious out of all com- religion out of all conversations. I think it's because we forget that Jesus is still with us. You know, Jesus, he doesn't end with go make disciples. He says this last statement because he knows us. He tells us, guys, I never left. Oh, yeah, I'm going, but, but, but I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to give you my spirit. Because behold, I am with you, even to the end of the age. What Jesus is saying is, you're not deserted, you're not abandoned. Like, I'm not just going to drop you off in the world and say, hey, figure it out, good luck. He said, I'm with you in, in your car ride to work. I'm with you as maybe you're going to college or taking classes. I'm with you when, when you're struggling through marital or financial issue. I'm with you whether you're at a, a fire station or, or a law firm or a police station or, or construction site. I am there. And if you look through the Gospels, it's littered with encouragement from Christ. What about, what about John 16, 33? Hey, don't forget, I've overcome the world. What about 1 John 4, 4? Greater is he that, that is in me than he who's in this world. We don't need to wait to join Jesus on his mission until we're perfect, or more knowledgeable, or more confident. Lost people matter to God. And so they sure, sure as well should matter to us. Because I think about Jesus, he said, hey, I came to seek and save the lost. Not just to be this great theologian and, and understand doctrine and, and have all the head knowledge. That stuff is so important. But Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. You know, our mission is to be disciples, to grow as disciples, but also to make disciples. But, but sadly, more churches care about pampering the saved than reaching the lost. We must do what it takes to go make disciples. And we got to get out of our way and say, you know what? Maybe how they see us is going to take a hit. Maybe we are going to be looked at a little different. Maybe it's going to cost a little connectivity. Maybe. But it's worth it to give them a chance. So here's some practical ways that you can do this. Very practical Nothing crazy. I already mentioned it once. Share your Jesus story. They can question the word. They can question your church. But they can't question what Jesus has done in your life. They can't question it. Share your story. Where you were before Christ. What happened to change you. And where you are today because of what Christ has done. Share that. Invite to church. You know, very simple. Be willing to invite someone. Hey, watch online first. Send a link. Whatever. An invitation. Another one, social media. 
I know some people despise social media, but guess what? It ain't going away. We can either use it for kingdom advancement or use it to get mad about political stances, right? Use it to honor Christ. I always say people should know that you love Jesus within 10 seconds of checking out your profile. That's always my rule of thumb. They scroll down, not that everything is scripture, it could be family or whatever, or if it's Vince Messina, maybe his Corvette. But the thing is, people should know, hey, this person loves Jesus. They should know rather quickly. Because you've used that to, to, to lift Christ up instead of lift up whatever's going on in the world. Use social media. And then with my friend, as I mentioned in, in the opening story, ask good questions. Jesus was the chief question asker. He didn't always talk at people. He asked questions and, and got them to think. Questions spur thought. Oh, why do you believe that? Why do you believe that theory? Why do you not believe that God is real? Or why do you believe in this other religion? And listen. Don't get ready for your response. Actually, I would say do the opposite. Don't think about what you're going to say. Just listen. Understand them. Where they are coming from. Most of the time, people who who aren't connected or have been heard in the church, it's because no one listened to them. No one took the time to hear them out. Listen why they're here instead of there. Or why they left the church. Or why they never gave it a chance. Or what hurts they have. Really listen to them. To understand where they're at emotionally. And maybe with maturity or, or intellectually. Just listen to them. But regardless, no matter what or how you approach someone, people who cross your path should have an encounter with a loving, kind follower of Jesus. No matter what. Walk away and say, man, that person, I don't want them to walk away. Man, they were abrasive. They were rude. No, man, they they have their thoughts and they they talked a lot. (laughs) But... Man, they're a really kind person. I could tell they really believe what they're saying. You know, a missionary to Africa told the story of an elderly woman who was reached with the gospel. Though she was blind and could neither read nor write, uh, she, she wanted to share her newfound faith. And so she went up to the missionary and she said, Hey, can I get a French Bible? So she got a French Bible, and she, she turned it to uh, John 3.16. Or she said, hey, turn it to John 3.16. Can you underline John 3.16 in red? And so he underlined it, and then she put a bookmark there. And he was curious what she was going to do with it. Here's a lady who's blind and illiterate, and, and she asked for this. What is she going to do? So one day he chose to follow her. And right before school let out, she made her way to the front of the door. And as the, as the boys were leaving this home, she was out front and she was asking if someone could help her. And so she said, hey, could someone read this for me? Could someone help me? And so these boys would stop and they would say, hey, how, how can I help you? And she said, can you read what's underlined in red for me? And so they would look and it would say, for God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so they would read that and then she would ask them, hey, do you know what that means? And if they said no, she would go on to share the gospel that Jesus died for you. He loves you. He wants you to have an eternal life with him. And you'd sinned and fallen short of the glory of him. But he paid the cost for you. The missionary said that out of her time doing this, year after year, many gave their lives to Christ. One day he added up that 24 of the schoolboys that had given their life to Christ became pastors. You're either making disciples or you're making excuses. You know, I mentioned my friend Marty, and we're going to do one more worship song as the, the team comes up. But um, my friend, who I asked that question to, I remember him slumping his head and saying, I'm, I'm not worthy. I need to get my life right before coming to God. And it didn't happen immediately, but a year later, I still remember the phone call of him calling me and saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to give my life to Christ. And I, his, his parents weren't there, but my parents were. And I was, you know, with a couple other friends. And we went into North Lake, just north of Chelsea, Michigan, and we baptized him. We were able to celebrate that. And so guys, ladies, church, we got to go make disciples. Matter the cost. Because we want people to have an eternity with him. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.